Hey. Oh, there we go. Good. There we go. Good. There we go. Good. <laughs> That's how we usually start phone conversations. <laughs> What it is, what it do, this is Rambling, your weekly Rams podcast that gives you insight of the team and news from around the NFL. I'm your host and team reporter, Serena Morales, coming at you from Agora Hills, California, as we head into week 12. The Rams are now 6-4 and four after getting a win against the Bears and are now preparing for one very tough matchup on Monday Night Football against the Ravens. Joining me today, he's a key player when it comes to storytelling that comes out of the NFL. Prior to his work at NFL Network, he worked at ESPN and Sports Illustrated. Not many can say this, but he's a member of the Pro Football Hall of Fame Selection Committee, so watch it out there because he's watching you. I would also like to acknowledge (laughs) I'm his personal photographer at all Rams home games, Jim Trotter. <laughs> Jim, I, I like it. I like it. I'm proud to say that I got the best photo of you. You were more excited, maybe not about the game on Sunday. You were more excited because the pregame show had Venus Williams in the house, and I got to take this photo. <laughs> oh, without question. Venus is, um, you know, I, I think I said this on my Instagram post. I don't, I don't get starstruck often, but. Um, Venus and Serena are just, they're, to me, they're, they're athletic royalty, they're legends, they're goddesses. So the chance, I don't go to many tennis matches, so the chance to see her on the sideline and, and you know, I ask her to take a photo, which is something I rarely do. Um, but in this instance, it was just like, okay, you got to do it. And uh, she was gracious enough to do it, and, and you were gracious enough to take the picture, so I owe you for that. Oh, yeah. I mean, Serena and Venus. I, I was, like, introducing myself to Venus Williams. I was like, hey, I'm Serena. And then not I'm, that one. Right, I was like, not your sister. <laughs> I know you're thinking, what are you doing here, Serena? And I'm like, yeah, I've changed jobs. What kind of game are you running, right? <laughs> right, exactly. Um, I got to see you before, during, and after the game, and we spoke after the game on Sunday. You mentioned there seems to be a change in the identity of this Rams team? Yeah, you know, the thing that was interesting before the game, like I, I had not seen the Rams in person this year. Obviously, I had um, watched some of the games and, and read about them and, and the like, but I had not watched them in person. And so before the game, um, you know, a couple of hours, I was talking to one of the coaches and, and he said, you know, we're still searching for an identity. And I said, are we talking offense here? Are we talking in general? And and he said, you know, sort of in general. Um, but he was like, adversity is good. You know, it really brings out character and you find out what you have. And and so they go on and they beat the Bears 17-7. And, and after the game, when I was talking to Eric Weddle, and I said, you know, um, do you think you guys have discovered what your identity is? And, and he said, yeah, we're a defensive-minded club and we're going to have to shut down teams to, to win. And the thing that was fascinating to me is that um, I said, you know, when, when, when does the, the, the switch flip? And he said, really, it was the previous week when they played Pittsburgh and, you know, they lost that game 12-7, I think it was. And um, he said late or early in the fourth quarter, Pittsburgh goes on, um, gets the ball and goes on a 14-play, 60-yard drive and takes up eight minutes of the clock, which really um, – forced the hand of the Rams at the end in terms of limiting their, the number of possessions they would get. 
And that really bothered those defenders. And he said they, some of them had conversations about it in private after, after that game. And, and then on Monday after the team meeting, the players all got together and had a further discussion about it and said, look, you know, if we're going to, to make this playoff push and whatnot, you know, a lot of it's going to be up to us and, and we've got to step up. We've got to be great, not only every game, but every play. So, um, I said, you do know that sounds funny hearing the Rams talk about being a defensive-minded club, and he kind of laughed, and he said, yeah, he goes, it's a year-to-year business. Mm. And it's funny, too. Yeah, you would say this. I think we spoke about this after the game. You know, last year you look at uh, the identity of the Rams, and yes, it was a heavy offensive-minded club. You see these beautiful um, throws by Jared Goff. I've used the word, and I, you know, forget all the machismo and everything that happens in sports. But the Rams were a beautiful football team. Jared throwing these, you know, very long throws to Brandon Cooks and Cooper Cup and uh, Robert Woods. There, I mean. You, it was it was to perfection, right? It was a beautiful offense, and I thought that was great. And now, you know, after the game, we talked about it. The Rams are maybe not so polished. It's like a little gritty, but I kind of like that. Oh, there's no question. A year ago, it was artistry, as you said. Yeah. Um, you know, you had the the beautiful mind of Sean McVay, and and then you had the paint brushes and Goff and 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 Woods and Gurley and Cup and and uh, Cooks and. And so it was just, it was that kind of thing that would take your breath away. But, you know, there's no question this year they're more about grit than glamour. And, and as I said, they're more about, you know, resolve and, 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 and a, 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 just a get it done type mentality than, than a year ago. So, um, and it's good that they're able to, to, to flip that switch and change that now. They played a team that was struggling on offense as well. When you talk about playing the Bears, the real test will be this week when you play a team that's so multifaceted as the Ravens and, and that is putting up so many points um, as Baltimore is. And that, we'll find out just how good this defense is um, this week and whether or not they can lean on that side of the ball. Yeah, and I, I would say this, you know, the O-line really sort of pulled it together <laughs> when you say figuring it out. Um, they went through a number of injuries this season. But a, against a good Bears defense, right, what do you think? I mean, I want to I give a shout-out to Andrew Whitworth because he was literally one of the, the last men standing when it comes to that consistency of an O-line that we saw last year and the success sure. they had. Is it, is it a Whitworth thing and his leadership? What do you think about the O-line? They were able to pull that off against a good defense. No, I, I think to some degree, um, as was noted on the broadcast, they changed up their, their philosophy a little bit. Instead of being sort of a zone-blocking team, they went to more of a power game. And perhaps that caught Chicago off, off guard. I'm not sure. Um, I know before the game when I was talking to Eddie Jackson, I, I think he felt they were going to be more of that zone-run team. And, and for the first time this year, he felt he was going to be able to roam a little bit more in the game because, as you know, he's such a playmaker. And yet... He does not have an interception this year. So so the Rams may have crossed them up a little bit. And the other thing was, you know, they relied on Todd Gurley in the ground game for, for perhaps the first time this year. They featured Todd and this whole load management thing and, and trying to preserve him for late in the season and the postseason. Um, they got back to some of the basics. And that's the thing that a lot of people miss, Serena, about – this offense and, and even, for instance, Kyle Shanahan's offense and these guys is that it is built around the run. As much as they throw the football and, and as beautiful as the, the long plays are and the chunk plays and whatnot, the offense works 
or feeds off of the run game. It sets up the play-action pass, um, and it keeps defenses more honest. So for me, um, again, I'm intrigued this week because now the Ravens have seen this change in the Rams, at least their offensive philosophy. And so how will they respond to that? The Ravens secondary obviously has been outstanding since Marcus Peters was traded there um, and Jimmy Smith got healthy. So you, the Rams, in my opinion, are going to have to be able to establish a run game and to stay out of those second and longs and third and longs against the secondary, which has been so opportunistic, you know, this year. Um, and right now the Ravens, you know, they're the fourth in the league in terms of QB hits. So uh, it's imperative that Todd Gurley and, and this run game, you know, get off. And, and in my opinion, get an early lead because that's one of the things where the Ravens have been feasting uh, particularly of late is that they get up on teams and they force teams to throw the ball in the second half and, and late. And it's tough at that point, then their defense can tee off because teams are then throwing to try and get back into it. Yeah. And I mean, overall, I would say this team, while we've kind of tweaked the run game and done things to protect Jared Goff and the O-line overall, Aside from Whitworth and his leadership, you've covered a ton of NFL teams now. Like, do you think Sean McVay has handled this group and and evolving with that team's identity? Yeah, I mean, you you look you. I think Sean is still an evolving coach, but I think you you play with the cards that are dealt to you. You know, they have had a lot of injuries this year. Um, there have been changes and and. I think the fact that, that now some of these young guys are getting a chance on that offensive line to play and show what they can do is important because, look, the reality is that offensive line last year for everything that they got out of it was an older group and it was going to be tough to sustain that um, because of all the years and the wear and tear on that group. And now you get some young guys in there and, and you start to find out what you have. And, you know, the group looked good last week without question. And now the question is, can it do it again now that, you know, an opponent has a feel for maybe what they want to run and, and what they're trying to do. The thing that's been so fascinating to me about the Rams this year, too, is when we talk about searching for an identity, we, you know, we have a game early, uh, earlier in the year where Jared Goff throws it 68 times. And then you come back last week and you have a game where he threw it 18 times. And, and obviously, neither is the real Rams. Um, I think the real Rams are what Sean McVay wants is, is in between, somewhere in the middle. But the fact that, that they've gone through these wild swings trying to figure out exactly what works and how best to do it, um, we're going to find out if they've come out on the other side yet, if, if they're on the other side of that tunnel. And, and um, that's why I just find this game so intriguing because – um, Baltimore is playing so well right now. You just see these teams that have sort of, and I hate to use the word momentum, but there's just a special chemistry in a, in a, and every year you get one or two teams that seem to kind of capture that. And I think Baltimore is one of those teams right now that has captured that behind Lamar Jackson. And so if the Rams are going to make any sort of playoff push, um, they've got to get this one. Uh, just building off the finding the identity stuff, do you think it's important not only when you're looking for this identity to like, not just be one specific type of team, but to be kind of an ever changing adaptable team as your identity. We're chameleons. Right. This year. Exactly. <laughs> you adapt week to week. Look, I, I believe that the, the great teams, the really good teams always have something they can hang their hat on. Now you may scheme differently from week to week. 
um, depending on the opponent. But you have to have something that you hang your hat on that you know in, in tough situations that this is what we can go to, this is what we hang our hat on. And I'm not sure that they have found that yet. And, and that's not to say that they can't find it going forward. But I do think they're still searching for that. And, and so if you were to ask me right now, what is it? I honestly don't know. Because even with as well as they played defensively last week, and it played, you know, in, in recent weeks on defense, it played well. Um, that yeah. offense in terms of Chicago is not, is not a world beater, as you all know. Um, and they've got their own issues at quarterback there with Mitchell Trubisky and, and whether or not he's actually the, the, the guy best suited for that job. So for me, um, I think the Rams are still searching, but I think you need something to hang your hat, your hat on at times of adversity, and I don't know if they've discovered that yet. What do you think that the Rams need to do now that we're heading into another night game, Monday night football against the Ravens? What do you think the Rams need to do to get that dub? I think first and foremost, as we were talking about earlier, I think they have to establish the run game. Um, I think secondly, they need to get up early. You don't want to play from behind against this team because Baltimore obviously puts up so many points. Yeah. Um, and when they when they get up on you, and Lamar Jackson can then they can go to their their ground game, um, and defensively then they can pin back their ears and come after the quarterback. And they're very good at doing that, you know, in the second half. The other thing why I say I think they need to get up early is if you look at the Ravens of late, um, they've been very stingy in the second half of games. I think in the last five, you might double check this, but in the last five games, I think they've given up a total of only 27 points in the second half. And so that's why I say I think it's imperative that you got to get up early to force this team maybe to do some things that it doesn't want to do or play maybe a little differently. Because uh, if you let them get out in front of you, they're an awful tough club to beat. Yeah, and I'll say this. Apparently, Ravens fans do not travel well. So if we can just pack up the Coliseum, get some noise early on, beat the rush hour traffic, just start your <laughs> Monday nice and early at 2 p.m., leave work, just... I was going to ask you, Serena, <laughs> what time do I need to get at the, to the stadium to avoid that L.A. traffic? Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm thinking you need to, like, be there at, like, 1 o'clock. Two o'clock. Yeah, I was at the if, stadium. If you leave after three, you're, you're done, gonna be, you're, Jim. You're going to be gonna walking. Miss the game. You're going to miss the well, game. You know, I'm coming up from San Diego, so yeah, you might want to leave uh, at nine a.m. <laughs> <laughs> Get a nice coffee, a put bagel. a good playlist on, and and chill out. Um, the some news from around the NFL, and I'm sticking to um the biggest news is really like Lamar Jackson, right? And he's the leading MVP candidate this year. Uh, the Rams are obviously going to face him Monday night football, but you know, what do you think of his success? And is there really anyone else that you think should be put above him at this point? Above him? No, 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 no way. Um, (laughs) No, no above him. I mean, you can put others in the conversation, but above him, I can't put anyone above him. Um, Lamar to me is just such a great story. Mm -hmm. Um, just going back to the whole draft process and everything. I mean, to have, you know, a Hall of Fame GM like Bill Polian come out before the draft and say he needs to be moved to wide receiver um, when for his entire life he's been fighting for the opportunity to play quarterback to the point that, that he and his mom, when they were deciding where to go to college, they were adamant that they wanted assurances that he was his position was not going to be switched. And, and they fought for that. And, you know, then he comes into the NFL and people are still skeptical of him. You know, it takes Ozzie Newsom making that trade up into the bottom of the first round to get him. 
when folks thought he was going to fall out of the, out, out of the first round. And in my opinion, he stepped into the perfect situation. That's the thing I think with a lot of young quarterbacks that people overlook when we get into talking about he's a bust or this guy's not any good. It, it, sometimes it goes beyond just the player, and it's about the circumstances of the situation that you're put in. And with Lamar, the Ravens had a plan on how to deal with him. They had coaches who had experience with read option type quarterbacks or run quote unquote running quarterbacks. Um, you know, you had Marty Morningway who had worked with Michael Vick in Philly. You had James Urban, the, the quarterback's coach, who also worked with Vic at Philly. And you had Greg Roman at that time, who, who had worked with Colin Kaepernick in San Francisco. And now this year, Greg Roman is obviously elevated to offensive coordinator. And many of the things that he did with Colin Kaepernick in San Francisco, they're doing in, in Baltimore. And, and Lamar is having success. But the other thing that's been, for me, um, so rewarding is to watch how he has grown as a passer from the pocket. Mm. You know, everybody talked about him getting outside and running and throwing on the move or whatever outside the pocket on a broken play. But no, he is making plays from the pocket, which makes him even that much more lethal. So to me, he's just a great story. And, he, and, he, and he's also, in my opinion, and in talking to other coaches around the league, offensive coaches, he is where the NFL is going. Now, there will always be a place for a traditional pocket passer, but the college game is, is infiltrating the NFL, and more and more you're going to see um, teams relying on mobile quarterbacks who also can throw from the pocket. And I think Lamar is really one of those guys now with his success that's going to make it that much easier and, and make those type players that much more desirable for NFL clubs going forward. Well, and those those defensive linemen, they're not slow. Just because they're big, that doesn't mean they're slow. You got to get somebody who can get out of there yeah. these days. No, he's he's his speed is on another level. And I I remember talking to him after the draft, and I went out to Baltimore to to see him, and and um and he was bothered, you know that that he never ran a forty for someone to really um show what he could do. I mean, he didn't run it for a reason but there was a part of him that wanted to run it just to kind of show off because the one time he had running when he was in college, I think he said he was a four or three or something. And he told me he had a bad toe. So he felt he can get even lower than that. But here's the other thing you guys about Lamar that I find so impressive. So when I had that meeting with him after the draft, I said to him, I said, Lamar, which would you prefer? If I told you you could have one or the other, which would it be a Super Bowl victory or a hall of fame jacket? And he said, I'll take the Super Bowl." And I said, well, why? And he said, because if we win a Super Bowl, it means I'm taking care of business, and that'll show everybody all they need to see in the gold jacket will follow. And I was like, man, you know, this guy is just so wise for a young young man, a young guy. And, and um, so I'm not surprised at all the success he's having. And, and in fact, um, you know, from a distance, I'm, 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 I'm really happy for him. For sure. It'll be, a, it'll be an interesting exciting matchup uh, again under the lights for Monday Night Football. Other news from around the NFL, another outlier <laughs> from the NFL, Rob Gronkowski, who is not playing. Uh, he won't be playing in the Super Bowl if the Patriots go that far, but he will be at the Super Bowl. He's throwing a party that, <laughs> that weekend. Uh, Jim, are you going to Gronk's Super Bowl party? <laughs> Serena, one thing you know about me, I don't do parties. And I <laughs> definitely don't do parties during Super Bowl week. So, no, I will not be there. Um, the old man and me, I'll be in my hotel room or out at a quiet dinner with, with friends. I try and avoid all that madness. And we all know 
When it comes to Gronk and parties, there will be madness. I was uh, looking for scrubbing up some change in my my in between my car seats, trying to <laughs> get my ticket. And luckily, I just found fifteen hundred dollars in there, yeah. so I'm good to go. No big deal. Their tickets are expensive, and it's like the Super Bowl ticket is already expensive. So I cannot imagine what kind of crazy is coming. Like, what are you buying fifteen hundred dollars for? Like, besides for six hours of entertainment, for, right? And you're already spending the money for like an actual football game. Now I'm going to go and be working off maybe a hangover because if you're going to a party, you might as well have a drink or two. Like, what what do you what is Gronk offering for that much of a ticket? Like, you you are asking the <laughs> wrong guy because I have I have no clue. One, I don't drink. Two, I don't party. So I can't even begin to imagine what goes on um, the debauchery that may go on. I, I know. Seeing him after a Super Bowl victory uh, with his shirt off, doing his Gronk dance and that sort of stuff, I can only imagine that that this might get even more crazy. Well, that was a big topic on Twitter this weekend. Serena, you know what else was trending on Twitter this week? Please tell me, Matt. So people have been tracking down their old teachers and just kind of catching up with them and seeing like what they're going on in their lives right now. One of them found that their teacher is now like a, an Instagram influencer with 100,000 followers. <laughs> Others have found mm. teachers are jazz musicians or rock stars. Okay. And some of them are just looking for uh, to catch up with an old person who was a good influence on their life. So I'm just curious. Any uh, good teacher stories from either of you? Oh, man. Jim, do you have any? I mean, I, I'll say from the Bronx, I still remember my third grade teacher, Miss Faustini. She was my favorite teacher she had this big poof of hair and she had a ton of hair and she would have us say hello in the morning and say like in different languages so I got to say guten tag and I still remember that from third grade <laughs> um and then you know like the opposite side of that I would I remember being at Syracuse new house and going through that journalism um experience and kind of getting the foundation to you know what gives me a pretty decent uh career so far and and uh miss Fote, she had me she gave me voice lessons to lose my accent because as a new yorker she was like you're never gonna get hired anywhere uh with your <clears throat> accent which is funny because it comes out obviously you know i have a couple glasses on my calendar or something like that but like i my accent comes out there and in like the locker room and it, you know it's been my identity but to lose it was kind of interesting and then you know i i don't know if she ever thought i was gonna ever make it to be anchoring sports center or to be, you know, the team reporter for the Rams. But it's kind of a funny like, ha I do enjoy your old my, my your old <laughs> sample clips. Yeah. I'm like, I've made <clears throat> it. All right. So there's the good and the bad of the teachers. But I'm I'm, I'm in touch with Fo actually. Like she she follows me on Twitter at least, I can say that. <laughs> and she's still teaching at Newhouse. Yeah, it's amazing how how the influence that teachers have on 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 um young people and and it's a shame that we so in my opinion undervalue them and underpay them and whatnot I, you know for me there were two that were instrumental um one is still living one has passed away you know sam yet who was a journalist journalism professor of mine at howard university was um he's legendary particularly in the in the black community so you know if you look him up um but he was he was he was tough you know, um, he was one of those teachers who was incredibly bright, who challenged you to think and, you know, everything you got, you had to earn. 
And I love that about him. And, you know, another one was back in high school, and, and I'm still in contact with her mm. regularly. Her name was Janet Gill, or her name is Janet Gill. And I remember in high school, I was one of those kids who um, was still searching for my way. And so I didn't trust a lot of people and, you know, didn't let a lot of people in and that sort of thing. And, and I remember one day I had a sweater on and, and she was walking by, I didn't know her. And she goes, oh, I like that sweater. And, and you know, me at that time, thinking everyone had some ulterior motive or, you know, was taking some sort of shot, I kind of probably said something smart aleck back. But anyway, um, we sort of developed a relationship from there. She, you know, she taught English lit and, and she made me sort of a teacher's assistant. And, you know, I would, I would do the scoring on the grades and all that stuff. And then ultimately she invited me to her family's house and she, she's, you know, this Italian woman who makes great pasta and apple pies and all that sort of stuff. And she got to know my family. And so even today she knows, you know, my wife, my kids, um, we have visited her. They have visited our place. And, and so it's those kind of people who just will look past the, the gruff exterior or whatever and try to see you for who you are and, and work with you in that way and, and um, help you to be better. And she was one of those people for me. For sure. Teachers wear many hats. My sister and my mom, both teachers in the Bronx oh, right awesome. now. So, awesome. yeah. The whole family yeah. of Shout Morales. Out to Shout out to teachers. When's teachers appreciate? Absolutely. <laughs> we, we missed that one. All right. Um, we'll and then <laughs> finally, uh, Jim, everyone who comes on the pod, I always ask them, if not football, then what? What would you be doing if football did not exist? What is Jim Trotter doing in his life? Oh, man, that's a hard <laughs> one. Um, it, you know, the reason I say that, Serena, is that, as you know, your interests change um, as you evolve as a person. Mm-hmm. So if you would ask me back when I was in high school or something like that, I thought I wanted to be an accountant. You oh know, um, I know. Think about that. That's how boring I am. Um, <laughs> and then as you as you get older, um, the interest that I have now, you know, like obviously I have, I have interest in golf. It's one of my recreations now to kind of get away and decompress and everything. But as strange as it sounds, like you know, I, I love real estate and I love gardening if that makes any sense so hopefully i would be able to combine all three of those things where maybe i'm i'm buying homes on golf courses and and doing the the landscaping for them who knows uh, maybe that's it do you know I, I always wonder about this the like if you're at a golf course and you own a home like is there extra insurance on the windows because yes okay because yes. i'm like man yes. that's gotta suck every couple weeks you got a hole in well, your hang, hang on, Serena. But you, and this is what this is what drives me nuts as a golfer. I remember one time I think I was in Minnesota, and I teed off and I drilled it and I drilled it right into the side of a home, and the person comes out and they're mad and whatnot. And I'm thinking to myself, you, you bought a home 100%. on a golf course, right? You know off the tee box and <laughs> you never thought once that somebody might hit an air and shot and hit your home. Totally. I'm like, I'm like, you know, and you want to say to him, get a clue, but, um, <laughs> kind of, it is what it is, but no, if I ever buy a home on a golf course, it will be behind the tee box. That way I never have to worry about it being hit. That's a good idea. So you, you think go. about these things as you play and you're a little older, wiser, you think about things. So you find ways to make it work. 
Jim's got a little lemonade stand in between hole seven and oh eight. Oh my God! Yes, people. you're darn right. <laughs> no, no, it's a true story. I, so I say, when I retire, if I'm fortunate enough to retire, my goal is to be like a marshal on a golf course where you volunteer and they let you play for free. Oh, there That's you go. That's what I'll be doing. See, you got to like think that. it out. It's always free. Save if money you, if you start on hole number two and walk. <laughs> yeah, just you know. I like that. Okay, so the gardener, the the non-accountant, Jim Trotter. I really appreciate you coming the on. The boring man. <laughs> but you keep it exciting. I'm excited to see you at the game on Monday night. That's it. That's our 16th episode of Ramblin'. Appreciate you coming on the pod, Jim. And don't forget, for those looking for more all things Rams, make sure you check out our other team podcast, Rams Revealed, with J.B. Long. Uh, We got a good week coming up. We'll see you Monday night.